Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. This is Joe Rosenstein, and I am a professor of mathematics at Rutgers University and the author of Sidur 8 Ratzon and Machzor 8 Ratzon. Today we will be studying Tractate Rosh Hashanah, Daf 29, Chaf Tet. Chapter 4, the final chapter of the tractate, begins on this daf, and coincidentally ends next Thursday, my last day on the program. The focus of Chapter 4 consists of two topics that are particularly relevant to our observance of Rosh Hashanah, namely the blowing of the shofar and the special prayers of the day. A common theme to our discussion of this chapter will be the ways in which our people's observance and understanding of Rosh Hashanah has changed over time. Let's start with what the Torah says about Rosh Hashanah. There are exactly two references to Rosh Hashanah in the Torah. Chapter 9 of Bamidbar, Numbers, begins, The first day of the seventh month shall be observed by you as a Mikra Kodesh, translated as a sacred event or a holy convocation, when you may not do any Melechad Avodah, that is, any work activity. It shall be Yom Teruah, a day of Teruah. From this passage we learn that Rosh Hashanah falls into the same category as the other festivals in two ways. First, it is a Mikra Kodesh, a sacred event or a holy convocation. And second, all work activity is prohibited. We know the purpose of each of the other festivals, Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot, both as commemorating historical, national events, and as reflecting the agricultural cycle of the year. What does Rosh Hashanah commemorate? How is it important agriculturally? We don't know. And this passage doesn't tell us the purpose of this special day. All we are told is that it is a Yom Truah, a day of Truah. Because Rosh Hashanah means beginning of the year, you would think that what is being celebrated here is the beginning of the year. But the day is not referred to as Rosh Hashanah in this passage. It is called simply the first day of the seventh month. You might conjecture that the day celebrates the creation of the world. But it turns out that there were two views in the Talmud as to when the world was created. On the first day of the month of Tishrei, when we actually celebrate Rosh Hashanah, and on the first month, on the first day of Nisan, at the beginning of spring. A view that makes a good deal of sense. It is appropriate for the world to come alive, for nature to awake, at the time that nature awakes. It was surprising to me to learn 
that there was no single tradition of when the world began. In any case, there is no clear statement in the Bible that the first day of the seventh month was when the world was created. And so it is not surprising that the traditional Rosh Hashanah liturgy contains no New Year's ceremony, where we proclaim that we have finished year X and are embarking on year X plus one. The only other reference to Rosh Hashanah in the Torah, from Vayikra, Leviticus, chapter 23, is no more enlightening. The first day of the seventh month shall be a Yom Shabbaton, a day of rest for you. It is a Yom Zichron Teruah, and the Mikra Kodesh, a sacred holiday or holy convocation. Do not do any work activity, Melechad Avodah. Like the previous passage from Numbers, this passage from Leviticus does not provide an explanation of Rosh Hashanah, nor does it mention the name Rosh Hashanah, and confuses matters by speaking of Yom Zichron Truah. What is Zichron, from the root Zion Chot Resh, which means remember, mean here? Does Zichron Truah mean everyone should remember to hear or to sound the Truah? Or perhaps the trua is blown to commemorate something, or to memorialize something, or to remind us of something, or to announce something. We don't know. In fact, we also don't know what Yom Trua means in the Torah. But it likely did not refer to a sound made by a shofar. Indeed, the word trua appears about 80 times in the Bible, in various forms, and in only one of those is there a clear reference to a sound made by a shofar. Teruah usually means loud, a loud shout, sometimes a cheer or a roar or a battle cry, or, particularly in Psalms, a shout of joy. For example, Joshua instructs the Israelites to gather around Jericho that when you hear the sound of the shofar, Roar a great roar, and the walls will tumble down. The truah in these, in these passages is not the sound of the shofar, but the roar of the crowd. Similarly, when David retrieves the ark from the Philistines and brings it triumphantly to Jerusalem, the Bible notes that they celebrated with truah and with the sound of the shofar. So perhaps in ancient times, the Israelites in each region gathered on the first day of the seventh month for a day-long pep rally. A pep rally for what? We'll return to this question in a few days. In any case, by the time of the second temple, and probably much earlier, Yom Truah came to mean the day on which the shofar was sounded. Here's a practical question. What happens if Rosh Hashanah falls on Shabbat? Do we blow the shofar or not? In modern times, traditional congregations have an easy answer. They blow the shofar on the second day. But in the time of the Mishnah, there was no second day of Rosh Hashanah. That was a later innovation. Moreover, our easy answer is not so easy, because the Torah says explicitly that Yom Truah is the first day of the seventh month, not the second day. The first Mishnah in chapter 4 begins with the following statement. When the Yom Tov of Rosh Hashanah was on Shabbat, 
They blew the shofar in the temple, but not Bamdina in the provinces. From this we learn that there was no inherent prohibition against sounding the shofar on Shabbat, since it was in fact blown in the temple. This also raises a problem. Unlike Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot, Rosh Hashanah was not a Chag, a pilgrimage festival. Presumably the same word as the Arabic Hajj. So how were the Jews outside of Jerusalem going to observe the day as Yom Teruah if it fell on Shabbat? They couldn't afford to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the first day of the seventh month, and then another pilgrimage for Sukkot on the fifteenth day of the seventh month. Apparently they didn't get to hear the shofar when Rosh Hashanah fell on Shabbat. Sad news. The Mishnah continues. After the temple was destroyed, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai ruled that they would blow the shofar on Shabbat in every place where there was a Bet Din, an established judicial court. Recall that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai escaped from Jerusalem while it was under siege in the year 70 of the Common Era and established an academy at Yavna. Once the temple was destroyed, this academy dealt with the challenge of how Judaism could survive the destruction of its central location, the temple, and its central practice, the temple rituals. You might have expected Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai to continue past practice and declare that if Rosh Hashanah occurred on Shabbat, the shofar would not be blown on Shabbat, since it could only be blown in Jerusalem, or that it should only be blown in Yavna. Indeed, Rabbi, Rabbi Elazar claims that that is precisely what Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai meant. But his claim is rejected, and the Mishnah accepts that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai meant exactly what he said. The shofar was blown on Shabbat in each community that had a Bet Din. From a, from a historical perspective, we might say that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai determined that we should not follow past practice and centralize the observance, but rather that we should decentralize the observance, allowing the shofar to be sounded on Shabbat in any established community, one which was sufficiently large and sufficiently organized to have an established Bet Din. The Talmud explains how that decision was made by Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Soon after the temple was destroyed, Rosh Hashanah fell on Shabbat. Scholars from nearby communities came to Yavne and said to Rabbi Yochanan that they needed to discuss the question about whether the shofar should be blown on Shabbat. He responded that there was no time for a discussion, because if they don't blow the shofar now, then Rosh Hashanah would be over and the question would be moot. Therefore, he said, let's blow the shofar and later discuss the issue. After the shofar was blown, they were prepared for discussion. But Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai said now that there was nothing to discuss. They had already set a precedent of blowing the shofar on Shabbat. Who said that there was no humor in the Talmud? Let's back up for a minute. As we said before, since the shofar was blown in the temple on Shabbat, it was not inherently prohibited to blow the shofar on Shabbat. So why couldn't anyone blow the shofar anywhere? The answer given is that although you can blow the shofar on Shabbat, you can't carry it in the public domain on Shabbat. That would violate the laws of Shabbat. They imagine the following scenario. Yosef wants to blow the shofar, but try as he might, he can't get a sound out of it. 
So he goes to Yankel, the local expert, and asks him to help him blow his shofar. Of course, Yosef carries the shofar with him, and thereby violates Shabbat. But if the community has an established court, then they will take it upon themselves to make sure that everyone in the community knows that, although they may blow the shofar, they cannot carry it into the public domain. That solves the problem for all the Jews who live in established communities. But what about those who are out in the countryside? The Torah says that this is Yom Truah, the day when, according to long-established tradition, they are supposed to hear the shofar. How can they not hear the shofar on this day? According to one view in the Talmud, the answer is in the Torah. In Numbers, the day is referred to as Yom Truah, the day of hearing the shofar. In Leviticus, the day is referred to as Yom Zichron Truah, which for this purpose they translate as the day of remembering the hearing of the shofar. The first Yom Truah refers to when Rosh Hashanah is not on Shabbat. So on that day we hear the shofar. The second Yom Zichron Truah refers to when Rosh Hashanah is on Shabbat. And on that day we just remember hearing the shofar. So in fact, according to this explanation in the Talmud, the commandment to hear the shofar does not apply if Rosh Hashanah is on Shabbat. This explanation was rather contrived, and it was in fact rejected by the Talmud, primarily because that would imply that the shofar should not have been blown in the temple as well. It also contradicts the established view of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, and is contrary to the traditional view of Zichron Truah, as will be discussed in a later session. Nevertheless, this perspective that on Shabbat we should only remember the blowing of the shofar found many supporters, and as a result, over the generations, the blowing of the shofar ceased when the first day of the seventh month was on Shabbat. It should be noted, however, that as late as the nineteenth, as late as the ninth century, the shofar was still blown on Shabbat in Morocco and in Spain. It should also be noted that in days past, individuals blew the shofar on their own. So the scenario of accidentally carrying the shofar, as envisioned in the Talmud, was not far-fetched. Nowadays, however, individuals don't blow the shofar on their own, so that scenario need not be cause for concern. If that is the case, perhaps we should be reconsidering our position and reestablish the practice of blowing the shofar if Rosh Hashanah occurs on Shabbat, relying in part on Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai's perspective and ruling. That brings us to the end of today's session. Please join us tomorrow as we discuss other innovations instituted by Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Chorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.